You can tell all the people that come from cold climates, they don't have jumpers or jackets on. Not looking at anyone. Why haven't you people got jumpers and jackets on? You come from India. <laughs> from the north <laughs> or wherever it's cold in there. There are places cold in India, isn't there? I think. Yeah. All right, okay. Well, I guess some just don't feel it. Oh, look, there's another one. Oh. Really? I hope you don't mind if I keep my hands in my pockets this morning. It keeps them warm. Alrighty, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, Revolution Youth, 7 to 9, grades 7 to 12. They'll be finishing their series on Love God. So make sure if you're a youth, there's a couple of leaders. That's about it. Okay, right. You got that, guys? You ready? Good to go? That's good. Well, that's, I guess that's the important thing. Hey, just a, a thank you for everyone as we give weekly our tithes and offerings and that. And just a reminder that we don't do a, a bag or a bucket. We've got the FPOS and we've got the box out there for cash and you can do on, uh, on the online thing if you wish. So um, I can remember, I think it was about two years or before COVID, just before COVID, we were at uh, a church in Brisbane where our kids go. And it was the first weekend they were doing no pickup, you know, thing. And it was going to be all online or in spots where you could uh, give. And I thought to myself, can't really see that happening in our church. <laughs> COVID did a lot of things, didn't it? <laughs> all right, it's uh, our um, Tuesday night prayer meeting, 7 to 8 here in the, in the uh, auditorium. Every Tuesday evening, unless we cancel it like we did last week. So we'd love you to be a part of that. And just this morning, a thank you to our welcome team that we have each week. Yeah, well hopefully they're smiling faces in there, whatever colour that... That's, uh, yeah, that, that's, you're the warden today. That's, yeah, that colour, the blue one. That, that, yeah, they, they have, the wardens are the grumpy ones, okay? Cause they go <laughs> <laughs> so just a big thank you then to the people who do the morning tea and all those sorts of things, much appreciated. And if you would like to get involved in that in any way, uh, please see me and I will get you on very quickly. That'd be good. Just a couple, uh, um, on, a, on a serious uh, sad note this morning, I just wanted to let people know that um, in the last couple of weeks we've had two people pass away that have been connected with our church. Uh, Herbert Cadero, uh, sadly he was well, I think 40, 41, just... And he's left a family, Micah and son Zion and daughter Alicia. Uh, so that's quite sad. That's uh, only just happened recently. And the other one is some of the older members would remember Doug Rowe. Uh, he passed away, I think, about a week ago. Uh, we're still waiting to hear details of funerals and things for Doug. So that's uh, quite sad. But uh, the good thing is we know where they are so that we can be... Uh, we can have that sad but uh, happy at the same time kind of feeling. This morning before I speak, I just want to have a disclaimer. You know, a disclaimer where if you want to jump off this cliff with a rope attached to your legs, uh, we take no responsibility. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go quite that far. I will take some responsibility for what I'm speaking about this morning. But... I'm not an expert at it in any way, shape or form. So it's, uh, I'm going to be talking theologically this morning, which I don't often do. 
which is even more scary. But I'm taking the liberty to use an Old Testament principle found in Leviticus 19.9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over every... Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Well, I'm poor in knowledge and I'm a foreigner to those knowledgeable people, so I figure I fit into that category. So that's where we're going to come from this morning. Perhaps I should pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that we can meet together in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the word that I have on my heart and I thank you more importantly that Holy Spirit, you would speak to each and every person that is in this building this morning. We give you praise and we honour you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe the subject this morning is absolutely crucial to us understanding our salvation, how we see God and how we serve God in our Christian life. I want to talk about the word covenant. Covenant in bold letters and capital letters. The word covenant. In our modern age, I don't think we really understand the true meaning of the word covenant. We have agreements. We still have a lot of, I think, real estate and things. You still have a covenant. Uh, you might be in a, uh, an area where there's a covenant that you can only build, you've got to build this sort of building and that. They're not really covenants, they're just agreements. Because a covenant is far more than that. See, today, um, if we make an agreement with someone and, uh, you know, you break it, I'm out of here. Covenant, it's all gone. That's it, let's do it. I'm in it to get what I can get out of it. If I can find a loophole, loophole I will. I remember many years ago I had a friend and he worked for a big major company, Australian company that I guess you'd call them an earth moving company. They built highways and big dams and a lot of big construction things. And he said as soon as they signed the contract and got their contract, they had about five lawyers and all they did was pour through the contract, getting loopholes to save them money. That's not a covenant. Covenants you don't need lawyers. In the biblical covenant, two parties agree on the terms and that is final. You don't start looking for ways out. Actually, it's the opposite. I shall feel, fulfill my side of the agreement whether you do or not. Few small differences between a covenant of today and a covenant of the ancient times. There's a number of uh, things that are involved and not all are used in all covenants, but there's a, some basics of it. Firstly, is who's involved? Who's, who, who are you having the covenant with? Oftentimes it was with like a lord or a, a king or a chief or whatever the title they would be with one of their plebs or you know just the normal people. Then you'd work out the terms. What are the terms of the covenant? What are, we, what are we looking at? What are we agreeing on? Then there would be exchanging of coats and belts. A belt wasn't just to hold your trousers up. A belt was where you had your weapons attached. And it's very important we need to get hold of that one. We will see this shortly in the covenant with Jonathan and David. 
and also further on with Christ and us. Because you take the coat of the other person, and as I said, a lot of the times it's a, very, it's a more important person than you, and what that means is, if you mess with me, you mess with them. And they will, you know, things won't work out good for you. Because you now are that person. You, you come under that person's covering. The blood covenant. We'll also see in a little while, we're going to talk about Abram's covenant with God, where they uh, will kill uh, a beast or a, a, a lamb, sheep or something. They will cut it in half. They will place it either way. And they would stand back to back. And then they will walk around in a figure of eight go round and around, I won't do that, I'll get dizzy. And then when they come back, they're facing each other. The result of breaking a covenant. Like those two beasts, or that what one or two, three, whatever beasts have been slaughtered, you will be slaughtered if you break the covenant. How would that go these days? I mean, Lawyers would hate it, wouldn't they? But there's no use for them. <laughs> Sorry to all the lawyers in the building, if we've got any. And there's a beautiful Old Testament example of the covenant between Jonathan, the son of King Saul, and David, which is found in 1 Samuel 18. They've made a covenant together. And again, we see where Jonathan, who is in line to be the king, gives David his coat and his belt with his weapons. He's saying, I'm handing that over to you. Even though we know that David was already being chosen by God to be the king, but most of Israel, I'm sure, wouldn't have. David was still just a nobody. And so Jonathan would have been the rightful king in the eyes of Israel. But Jonathan loved David so that he said, and he even said he was going to, I will stand by you when you are the king. So King Saul dies, Jonathan dies, David becomes the king, and sometime later he's, he's sitting around having a think, and he thinks, I wonder if there's any other of King Saul's relatives still, still alive, because... In uh, those days, and well, well through a lot of history, uh, up until about Queen Victoria, I think she somehow she managed to stop people getting their heads lopped off if they were in line for the crown. If you were in line and a new king took over, guess what happened to you? Because they didn't want anyone being able to challenge their, their, their rule. So, But David was something different. He'd remembered the covenant that he made with Jonathan and part of that covenant that we will look after each other's family forever no matter what and uh, there was a, uh, a a son of Jonathan living in a little backwater town so David sent for him and uh his name was Mephibosheth. I'll try to only say that once. When he was brought before David, he said, What is your servant that you should notice a dog like me? 
a bit of a self-esteem problem there or possibly the thought that any moment now I'm about to lose my head. But no, David remembered his covenant with Jonathan that you do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. So I'm going to try it again. Mephibosheth ate at David's table like the king's sons. Mephibosheth, oh, it's all over this scripture, had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he was always at eight at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. For not only was he blessed by David, but his servant Ziba and his family were also blessed of David because of the covenant that he'd had with Jonathan. That is the power of the covenant. I will keep my side no matter what. In uh, Deuteronomy 29, we see Moses' covenant or God's covenant with the people of uh, Israel. This is near the end of uh, Moses' life, just before they're about to go into the promised land. I think I've got Deuteronomy in here somewhere. It was earlier. Here we go. 29. Verse 2, Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to his, all his land. With your own eyes you saw these great trials, those miracle, miraculous signs and great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. If we go down to verse 9, Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. All of, all of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders, your chief men, your elders and officials and all the men of Israel. Together with the children and your wives and the aliens living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water, you are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. A covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God, as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also those who are not here today. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries and on, on the way here. You saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of these nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. When such a person hears the words of this oath, he invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. This is probably the most important part of Moses' final words to the Israelites. This is Moses speaking to them before his death. 
as I said, and before they're going into, into the, to the land that God has promised them. And he reinforces the covenant between God and his people. It's important. In his covenant, God promises to prosper the people of Israel and everything they do. But then as we read in 19, verse 19, he also says, When such a person hears the words of this oath, he invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks, I will be safe, even though I persist in going my own way. This will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive him. That's harsh words. His wrath and zeal will burn against the man. All the curses written in this book will fall upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Yay, yay, yay. That's important, isn't it? And it goes on. There's more. But what's going on here? Isn't God a loving God? Hmm? Don't we hear throughout the Bible that I cannot bless, um, all through the Bible, I'm sorry, we hear I cannot bless the disobedient people. You hear about the wrath of God and, and how just he is. But we also hear, I will never forsake you. I will always accept you. I will never leave you. Didn't he just say that I'm never going to forgive you if you disobey me in this area? Are all the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? The problem is that the Bible seems to give contradictory answers over and over again. But if we understand the word covenant and the meaning of covenant, it's not contradictory at all. You see, we have this, he's never going to forgive you, he's going to love you no matter what. This dilemma coming down on both sides. Some of us would say, yes, you should obey, yes, you should be good, yes, you should obey the Ten Commandments. But it doesn't really matter in the end because God loves everybody and accepts everybody. Or we can come down on the other side, yes, God is very loving, but in the end, you've got to be good or he won't love you. It's a juggling act, isn't it? You either value the law more than love or love or love more than the law. Conditional versus unconditional. This leads to two unhealthy options. Living like you can do anything you want because God will love and forgive you in the end or being guilt-ridden to the end and never feeling like you are living up to God's standard or acceptance. So we have this ongoing dilemma between love and law. Pastor Tim Keller, a Presbyterian pastor from New York, says the state, this statement about the covenant. The covenant is a stunning blend of love and law. Stunning because it is a personal relationship made more loving and intimate because it is legal. It is the way through voluntary mutual binding promises and vows to be loving and to be faithful no matter what the circumstances are. How do we resolve this issue? Verse 13 says, To confirm you this day as people 
that we that he may be our God, your God, as he promised you, and he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's go to Genesis 15, where God makes a covenant with Abram. If we get an understanding of this, you will understand what the Bible is all about. We read in uh, chapter 15 that Ab God is going to make a covenant with Abram. So God orders uh, Abram to cut some uh, animals up. I think he had some, uh, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham bought them and cut them in two and arranged them in opposites at each other uh, and he didn't use the birds. So it was all set up to do the figure eight thing and uh, that means we both agree to the covenant and we're both going to be, if one of us breaks the covenant, we're going to end up like this, all set to go. And then Abram fell asleep and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for a hundred years, for, for 400 years. But I will punish a nation that will serve as slaves, and afterward you will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. There's something very, very important to see here. The, we see a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch signifies God's presence. Apparently, oftentimes in the Old Testament, the senior party of the covenant would not walk through the they would send a you know a servant or something to do the walking through so god himself walks through but more importantly and hugely significant abraham abram is not called to walk through God has walked through, Abram hasn't. What just happened? What, what, that's not the right way to do a covenant. God is saying, if I break this covenant, I will be held accountable, be sacrificed, and will take on the curse of this covenant. 
Now, we know that God can't do that, so that's fine. He's not going to break it. But listen, you've got to get this. He is also saying, if you, Abram, or any of your descendants break this covenant, I will be held accountable and slaughtered like these sacrifices. I will take on the curse. What? That's humongous. Did you get it? Nudge your neighbour and tell them he's going to say it again, so listen up. God is saying, if I break the covenant, I will be held accountable, accountable, be sacrificed, and will take on the curse. And we know God can't do that. It's not his nature. That's fine. But he is also saying, if you, Abram, or any of your descendants... Break this covenant. I will be held accountable and slaughtered like these sacrifices and I will take the curse. Let's fast forward to about 2,000 years ago. That's kind of a bit... Fast forwarding to 2,000 years ago is a bit weird, but from the time of Abraham to 2,000 years ago. Luke 23... It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, enter your hands, I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Could I suggest the darkness was a thick and dreadful darkness? For God to fulfill his covenant with Abraham, he had to humble himself. Galatians 2.8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And come to earth as a, And he came to earth as a man to be with man, to be a sacrifice, to keep the covenant of Abraham that man never could. He came to take the curse that comes from breaking the covenant. Remember the descendants of Abraham broke the covenant, not God. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Have you got it? Not, uh, not Abraham's natural children, although I'm sure there's some Jews in the world today that can probably trace their lineage back to Abraham. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, we are the sons and daughters of Abraham. We come under that covenant. Galatians 3 and 15. 
Brothers, let me take an, exam an example from everyday life. Just, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and not to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but to you, your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. He is the seed of Abraham. Verse 26, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. We are in Christ. We come under the covenant, that covenant of Abraham. Looking at the ages here, most of us have probably heard, heard the statement, Dr. Livingston, I presume. Somebody nod, good. <laughs> the Scottish explorer, Dr. Livingston, had been missing in Central Africa for six years. No one had heard anything about him. In 1869, the New York Herald newspaper sent journalist Henry Stanley in search of him. During his expedition, Stanley came in contact with a powerful African tribe, but he was in no condition to fight them. When his interpreter suggested he make a covenant with the tribal chieftain, Stanley did so, which required days of negotiations with the chief. At the end of the negotiations, it was agreed that the chief would give Stanley his spear, and in return... Stanley would give the chief his goat. Now that might seem very significant, but the goat's milk was, was Stanley needed the goat's milk for his health, so it was rather significant. And Stanley thought he'd got a rather raw deal. That is until Stanley came across hostile natives. He would hold the spear up and the hostilities would instantly cease like the jacket and the belt of armour. The chief's spear said that Stanley would be treated with all the dignity and respect as the chief would have been given. To steal from or harm Stanley or his party in any way would have been seen as doing it to the chief, an act which would bring death. We who are in Christ are like Stanley under the protection of the African chief. We are under the protection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only exception is if we break the covenant. Christ is our sacrifice and we are saved from the wrath of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge you this morning. We praise you, we honour you. And I know myself and I'm sure others that sometimes we really don't grasp 
what you have done for us. May we, as, as we grow and walk, and our walk grows in you, we will continue to get greater understanding of your love, your acceptance of us, and your sacrifice that we may be your children. I thank you, Father, that we, when we can grasp some form of understanding of what you have done, that we can walk in your freedom. Knowing that you've done everything for us. For this we give you praise, we give you honour. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> good job. That was a good ending, wasn't it? Now, no one's going to remember anything I've said except the young man who said, Amen, and I spilt my water. You better come back to the next service. Hey, have a blessed week. Uh, please hang around and have a couple with someone. And uh, if there's someone around that you uh, don't know, please get to know them. Say hello. That would be great. Thank you.